Well, it's the second Sunday, isn't it, of the new year? And in effect, we've got more or less the whole of 2023 ahead of us. I don't know how you're feeling about a new year. Optimistic? Yeah, yeah good. Pessimistic? No. All very optimistic this morning. Well, a new year gives us the chance, doesn't it, to sort of have a think about priorities in life, to think about those kind of things that are important to us, those kinds of things we perhaps want to change. Now, as a church, um, as a church leadership, we shared earlier last, or sort of late last year, how we really felt the Lord speak to us and how we felt that God was really leading us to spend some time thinking about reconnecting with God and reconnecting with one another. Now, we anticipate we're going to be doing this until around about Easter. We're not setting a firm end date, but it's that kind of period of time. And that is going to be our main focus during this period. And what we're going to do, certainly for today and for the next few weeks, is really get back to basics. What does it mean to be a worshipper of God? What does it mean to come into his presence? What does it mean to reconnect with God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So this morning, we're going to be looking at God, who is our Father... Next week, we're going to be looking at God, who is the Son, and the week after, God, who is the Holy Spirit. You'll see there's a bit of a a Trinitarian theme going on there. Now, there are 66 books of the Bible. We all know that. I can't possibly cover everything about the revelation of God in three weeks from 66 books. So if that's your expectation, lower the bar a little bit. If Jenga is your expectation, lower it a bit less. It'll probably be somewhere around that kind of level. But we're going to try and keep to the bigger points of who God is. So why do this now? Why do this as we look to reconnect with God? Well, I don't know about you, but I think the last three years have been rather rocky ground, haven't they? I think that is a bit of an understatement. Um, We've already touched on this a little bit this morning, about all these things that have been sort of buffeting us around. Just in case you've forgotten, at the start of 2020, we gathered here, we had all the plans for the year ahead. By March, they'd all been swept away by the COVID pandemic. We then went through lockdown after lockdown for about a year or so. This pandemic is still going on. It's not left us. And there is still the the sort of aftermath of both physical and mental health that that has left. Last year, the 24th of February, what happened? Ukraine was invaded by Russia. And we have the terror of war on our continent once again. The 6th of September, Boris makes his final speech as Prime Minister. The 25th of October, Liz Truss makes her final speech as Prime Minister. We're now living through a winter of high energy costs, of high inflation, of people not being able to feed their children, of all kinds of problems that are just buffeting us as a country. And as a church family, we have not been immune from all of that. We have journeyed through that period of time. But you know, the one real positive thing today is that God remains exactly the same. The temporary problems of the world do not impact in any way the character and nature of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're going to start with God the Father this morning. Now, I remember a few years back talking to a regional minister from the East Midlands Baptist Association, and he asked a question of us as ministers, how often do you talk about God the Father in church? He said, I go around churches and I hear everybody talking about Jesus, which is absolutely brilliant, don't hear me wrong at all. But he said, how often do you focus on the Father? And I looked at my preaching plans for the past couple of years and thought, well, not very often, really. So we're going to try and redress that balance just a little bit this morning. And we're going to look at three things about God. That God is one, that God is our Father, and that God is faithful. Shall we repeat those? Because I don't often preach in three points, but these are really simple. So let's repeat them after me. God is one. one. 
God is Father. God is faithful. Right, we're going to turn to the Bible now. I've got all these verses on the screen because there's three different passages of Scripture we're going to look at. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then another verse. This is from 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And then a final verse from Exodus. This is Exodus 34, verse 6. And he, the he is the Lord, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And just around these Bible verses off, this is from the longer version of the Creed, the Nicene Creed, which declares as Christians we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Let's just pray again, shall we? Yeah, Lord, we thank you for all these passages of Scripture that point to who you are. Just give us a glimpse, give us a refresher today, we pray as we look at you as our Heavenly Father. So speak to us by your word, through your spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, Wednesday this last week was the last of our Christmas gatherings as a family. And um, we've had Claire's parents over from Florida for a couple of weeks over Christmas. And I was driving them over to Landudno to see some of Claire's dad's family. It was a bit of a, a interesting, because Claire wasn't there. Claire had to work, but I went and met with all um, Eric, that's Claire's dad's sisters and brother, in this pub in London. It was actually quite a nice time together. But I've talked about this view before, but as you drive along the A55, if you know the road into North Wales, you go up past Holywell, and you suddenly go around a bend, and you go through this deep cutting. Do you know where I mean, if you know that road? And suddenly, what I think is one of the best views within an hour of here unfolds before you. You get the, the green veil of fluid right below you, stretching out. You get the sea looking over to, I think, Little Orm and then Great Orm to the north. And then right in the distance, you get the mountains of Snowdonia. This time of year, often um, topped with snow or cloud, if you're unlucky. Um, but it's the most magnificent view. It's an incredible view. And it always sort of captures my breath as I go around that corner. And I want to stop, but I can't, because that would cause like, chaos if you suddenly stop in the middle of the A55. But when we see a view like that, sometimes we're just captured in the moment, aren't we? And if we're, if we're thinking deeply, it can actually lead us to a moment of reflection and worship. Because we start to say, God is something like what I'm seeing. What I'm catching a glimpse of reminds me of who God is. And as humans, we have to look for analogies, don't we, to describe what God is like. I've got three pictures there on the screen. That, that isn't the view, just in case you were wondering. That's somewhere quite more dramatic than North Wales. But we've got three images there. The first one is of a son caring for his mother. And we see the tenderness of a human relationship. And sometimes when we see that, we can capture something of what God is like with us. The tenderness, the care, 
and the compassion that God has for us. Sometimes when we look to the mountains, when we see those views, we can be reminded that God is our rock, he is our fortress, he is strong and unchanging. And then we get these incredible views coming from these, these enormous telescopes, don't we, of the cosmos, of the vastness of time and space. And we look and we say, well, surely that grandeur reminds us something of the nature of God. And when we do that, you know, we're in good company. The psalmist will do this. Jesus will do this. But you know what? This morning, the greatest view, the most tender human relationship, the most soaring music that we've ever heard, the greatest art masterpiece that ever exists, they all fall totally short of the glory and splendor that is God. We need to just grasp that this morning. God is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. Just hold your head for a moment. Just hold it like this. Feel how small it is. Feel how little your brain is. Some of us perhaps smaller than others, but I won't go into that. But just think about your brain. There isn't a great deal there, is there? That's it. That's all there is. Think about the enormity of time and space and the God who made it all and compare and contrast. Just gives us a glimpse of the glory that is God. So some of the things that we can say about God. God is one. Those verses from Deuteronomy, I'll just pop them up on the the screen again. They're what is known as a prayer called the Shema. And they will be prayed even in Jewish families today, um, regularly, a number of times a day. And these verses declare the uniqueness of who God is. They declare to to people that, that God is one and that God is unique. And the context in that passage in Deuteronomy is that this is an instruction given to the people just after the giving of the Ten Commandments. So all the the law has been given, and this is how we are to respond to it. Now, it gets a little bit complicated here, so just bear with me for a moment. There is a slight ambiguity, Hebrew scholars tell me, in the way that we translate the Lord is one. And it can mean either of two things. It can either mean the Lord is one, as in the Lord is unity which is 100% true. You know, as Christians, we worship God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, and that is unity, so that is absolutely true. But it can equally also mean God is number one, which is also equally true. So rather than provide us with a problem, it actually provides us with rather a lot of richness to this verse and something to get our teeth into. Now, we've just gone past a time of year where traditionally the number one was quite important, wasn't it? The Christmas number one. If you think back over history, you know, there have been lots of popular Christmas number ones, and year by year it normally changes who gets it. But apparently since 2018 it's been Lad Baby, but we won't go there for this morning. <laughs> but the Christmas number ones change, don't they? Because taste changes. People like different kinds of music. Sporting number ones change. The, the team at the top of the Prem changes. Because people get better and people aren't as good as they used to be and all those kind of things. The things that are number one in our lives, if we're not careful, shift and change. And yet this verse makes the claim that God should remain and always be number one. The Lord says when it comes to God, he is the only God, he is unity and he is number one. One writer on this passage says we can say all these things about God just from this verse. He is the only Lord. Worship no one else. The people of Israel would often get distracted by the gods of the nations round about. Whether they were the gods of war, the gods of fertility, whatever, they would go around and they would start worshipping them. 
and the consequences would be disastrous. Now, I'm sure that most of us don't get distracted by worshipping pagan deities from the third, the third millennia, but actually what we do get distracted with is the gods of our own age, variations of money, sex and power, and we can start to pursue those kind of things rather than God. This verse reminds us that God is both one and number one. He's the universal ruler. He is the Lord of all. There is no other God who sits enthroned in the heavens. He is the unique God. You know, there are lots of other gods with small g's, ones that we make up. But there is no other God who exists, who has created everything that is seen and unseen. He is undivided in holiness, consistent in character, and he is the foundation of everything. Now, when we think of God, when we come to worship, we come in awe and wonder at the God who is all these things. But sometimes it can be very easy to say, well, God is all this stuff. Let's say very nice and put it on a bookshelf and write books about it. But actually, this verse doesn't allow us to do that. What these verses do is they say this has to be practical. It has to be lived out. It has to be worked on. It has to be worked into our everyday life. The call to Israel is to say, well, start talking about God. Talking about God who wants to know us, who wants to be known in our lives. And so we're told to give a heart response to God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything that was within us, everything that we think about, everything that we do with our time, with our money, with who we are as people, we should start to give to God. And in verse 7 to 9, if we just go back to that verse... It's really interesting. It talks about, talk about them when you sit at home. They talk about the commands, too. You're talking about things that God has said. When you sit at home or when you walk, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, what I find in life is that when something matters to us, we talk about it. When something is important, we can't stop talking about it. Now, if you talk to somebody who's a really avid fan of a football team and you get them onto talking about that team, they will talk endlessly. Often the problem is stopping them talking. It's not getting them going, but it's stopping them talking. If you find somebody who's into a particular type of music and get them onto that topic, they will talk and talk and talk and talk. If you talk to somebody who's a chef about the favourite food that they like cooking, again, they will talk, no matter what it is. If it's something that matters to us, we talk about it. So I want to ask us a question. Do we talk about God? As we look about reconnecting with God, do we talk about God to one another? Now, I want to make an observation here, and I include myself in this. I think as Christians, we're very good at talking about church. We're very good about talking about the things, the mechanics of what it means to hold a church family together. We're reasonably good at debating God. You know, looking at Bible verses, saying, what do we think they mean? Getting into those nitty-gritty things. Now, I know there are exceptions to this, and some people in this room are wonderful at talking about their experience of God in their lives. Absolutely brilliant. Keep on going. Others of us, and I probably include myself in this, we're not that natural at doing that. We don't naturally, when we're having a cup of coffee, say, how's your prayer life doing this week? What have you learned about God this week? How's God spoken to you? How is your journey with Jesus going? What has the Holy Spirit impressed on your heart? Whatever it is, we're not that good at just chatting about God. Perhaps it's just me, you're all looking at me a bit blank, but perhaps it's just me. But I wonder, when was the last time after church over a cup of coffee, just naturally, we introduced talking about God, who is Father, Son and Spirit, into our conversations? When was the last time we did that? Can I encourage us to make 2023 the year that we learn to talk naturally about God?
that as we look to reconnect with him, we start by reconnecting with one another, by just chatting about the things of God, the things of the Spirit. And we just make it very natural that it's not unusual to hear God talked about in church. Fancy that. Not unusual to hear God just chatted about naturally over conversation in church. That we take this ancient prayer seriously. And that when we're walking along, if we're going for a walk with somebody, when we're sat at home, when we're sat with other people, whatever it is, we naturally chat about God. Because you know what? If we want to be effective in mission, we're not going to be very good at talking to other people about God if we can't talk to one another who are Christians about God. So if it starts with talking to one another, then we will actually find that missional stuff rather more straightforward. So God is both one and calls us to be number one. Let's talk about him as we go through our lives. Second thing, God is Father. I'll just pop that verse up from 1 Corinthians. We speak of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but what does it actually mean that God is our Father? Well, the the title God as Father comes first of all in the Bible in Exodus 4, 22 and 23, when he's named as the Father of Israel. And he's then called Father right the way through the Old Testament, Jesus will talk about God as his father many, many, many times. And then famously, he will encourage us to pray to God as our father. Think of the Lord's Prayer, our father who art in heaven, to address God in that kind of way. Now, in the ancient world, the father figure in a family was essentially the one who was the giver and source of life. That's the way that the the family existed. And the father would ensure provision of income and food, They would be the physical father to any children, and a good father, a commendable father, would then care deeply about the well-being of the whole family unit. Now, to understand what it means as God as father, we've got to understand something of that context. Otherwise, we sort of get the wrong end of the, the stick. Because actually, our own human experiences of father can be sometimes quite painful. We may be thinking of that word father, and it may cause bad memories to to resurface in our lives. Or it may be that sense of loss of a father that was very dear to us, who is no longer with us. We can also struggle because our society models of father are not the same as they were in the time when the scriptures were written. But knowing something of the scriptures actually then enables us to say with confidence what we mean when God is father. God is the source. He is the source of of life. It is a huge privilege to call him father. He cares for us. He loves us. He has a passion for us. He calls us by name. He pursues us. He comes after us with that kind of tenderness and love. And that language at the start of the Lord's Prayer, our father, is not like some kind of Victorian father figure who makes us be seen and not heard. But it's intimate. That word is better translated, not father, but dad or even daddy. Is really, really intimate. And that's how God calls us to address him and to know him. He's given us life. Every breath that we have is, originates from him. Everything that is good and wholesome in this world comes from his hand. The God who we cannot comprehend, the God who is bigger than our brains can think about, wants us to call him Daddy. I don't know how that, that feels to you this morning, but that is mind-blowing, isn't it? Because we have this absolute majesty of God and then this total intimacy of relationship through what Jesus has done. We'll get to Jesus next week, but it's through what Jesus has done. So we go from majesty to intimacy. Do we know that kind of intimacy with God the Father today? Do we know that God cares for us? 
that he pursues us, that he longs for us to know him and that we are known to him by name? Does that root us in who we are today? Thirdly, God is faithful. I'll just pop that verse up from Exodus. One of the things that I end up doing quite a lot of and I actually really like doing is writing character references. Um, quite often, if people are, are volunteering with charities or doing a summer camp or something, they often ask on the, the application forms, you need a, a reference from your minister. So probably, on average, one a week, I will end up writing references for people. And it's something quite interesting, because how do you summarise a person's character when you're given a box that big? You have to be really concise, and you have to think about very carefully what you're going to say. This verse is almost like God declaring his character in front of Moses. Just look at what he says. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. See, underlying everything that God does is God's character. And we find out that the Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is tender like a loving father. He's also slow to anger. Doesn't mean he doesn't get angry. God does get angry, but he gets angry at sin and injustice. Those things that are alien to his character. And then it says he is abounding in love and faithfulness. I like that word abounding. Um, Some translations have the word rich instead of abounding. Um, Now over Christmas, I think more than once, I've heard people say, oh, I've eaten far too much rich food. Have you said that this Christmas, anyone? Um, now, we, when we talk about rich food, or we, we talk about food that has an excessive number of ingredients and probably has more of those excessive ingredients that are actually good for us, um, but they taste amazing. If we talk about somebody who is rich financially, we talk about somebody who's got an excess of more than is necessary, more than is needed. It's a word that goes over and above what is actually needed. And when we look at the character of God... He is abounding in love. It's not just like he's got a little bit of love available and we we have to sort of snatch after it. But it's just this abundance, this richness of love that comes from the heart of the Father. He is rich, he is overflowing. And that is why he sent Jesus. See, that is why Jesus came, isn't it? Because of the Father's love for us, because of the Father's desire to rescue us. And his faithfulness. You see, underpinning all these other character traits of God, are his faithfulness, his consistency. You know, we can be unfaithful, can't we, in life? We can be unfaithful in relationships. We can be unfaithful to God in many ways. We can be unfaithful to ourselves. But God does what God says. God's character underpins everything. He is 100% reliable. And so we come full circle. You know, we're in this dizzying world that is always changing. God never changes. God always remains the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same as he was when he passed in front of Moses all those centuries ago and proclaimed his character. So as we go into 2023, are we passionate about reconnecting, or whether it's for the first time, exploring what it means to connect to the God who is all these things? Are we going to put this front and center? And we'll come through lots of practical things about how we do this over the coming weeks. But is this something that is going to be a priority for us. Just to leave us with those three things. God is one. Unity. But he also is called to be number one in our lives. Is this true? Will we take up that challenge to talk about God? 
to chat about him, to make him one in our conversation as well. He's revealed as our father. Do we know his love and care today? And he's exactly who he says he is. And he always has been, and he always will be, and he never changes. Will we reconnect with the God who has such compassion and love for his children? Just to say at the end of our service, our prayer team will be available. If any of the things we've talked about today are things you want to pray through with somebody, please do come to the, the back of the church and the prayer team will be there and would love to pray with you. But can I pray for us now? And then Danny and the team will come and lead us in a time of response. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the revelation we have in the scriptures of your character of your power, of your majesty, of your goodness. And Lord, today I want to pray very practically that we'll be a church who talks about you an awful lot. Who, because you are number one in our lives, in our church, the conversation around you can just be found in this building, in our small groups, in our prayer groups, whatever it is, Lord. Help us to be those who talk about you because you are first in our lives. And so we thank you for your character, your care and compassion. And we thank you for sending your son and pouring out your spirit into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.